Welcome to Healthy Wealthy You, where we'll continue to explore all aspects of functional medicine and good health. We'll help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. Now, here is your host, Dr. Camille Vardy. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. This is Dr. Camille. As you know, one of the biggest themes on this show is that we cannot be healthy until we recognize our own humanity, until we recognize that we live in a body that is both frail and powerful, subject to the needs of our biology, yet magical at the same time. Well, there are few people in the world that I can think of who have experienced this more fully than my guest today. She has pushed the boundaries of her own humanity and found there what it truly means to be human. My guest today is Wonia Tebow. She has just written a book called Never Alone, A Solo Arctic Survival Journey, a memoir based on her experiences on season six of Alone, living off the land for 73 days near the Arctic Circle. Between her two seasons, she spent more time surviving on the land than any other participant. She is a model of resilience and her transformative experience is extremely inspiring. Welcome, Wonia. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, Camille, and really excited about the themes of your show and how they relate so much to my experiences and my work in the world. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's very kind of you. I was so deeply moved by a post you made on social media, and it speaks volumes to our listeners who may not have seen you on alone. It says, we are not separate from nature. It is where we come from, what shaped our bodies and minds. And there is a deep part of us that doesn't feel whole without it. Reminding people of this truth is a big part of why I wrote my book, Never Alone. It's the story of one of the most challenging, profound, and beautiful experiences of my life, a memoir about the months I spent living by myself on a rocky peninsula just below the Arctic Circle. I had no shelter and next to no food except what I could build and procure for myself. I learned to live like a wild animal does, to be completely present in the present moment. My very survival dependent on my ingenuity, my determination, and what the land provided. I've never felt happier, wilder, or freer. When I left that place, I made a commitment to share the story of my time there with the world so that all may experience the joy and wonder that it is to live wild in a wild place and to feel a belonging so deep there is no such thing as loneliness. I just I just absolutely adore that. I even just <laughs> reading it again. I just really love it. Can you tell us about the joy and the wonder that you want to share? Bring us into that world you experienced. Absolutely. Yeah. And even though you know they're my words and I wrote them, I tear up just hearing you read them because truly it was so profound and life-changing. And to me, having all humans experience something that profound and that deep a connection is really my life goal. And that's going to look different for different people. It's not going to be, you know, starving by oneself in the Arctic for most people, but giving them <laughs> just a little taste of that and that reminder 
that we are nature. We're not separate from it. And I think, you know, your your show is about healthiness and, and wellness and well-being and the degree to which everything in our biology is built to live in that way and to have those experiences. And I believe that a lot of the malaria we experience in modern society, both physically and mentally, emotionally, spiritually, comes from that sense of disconnect, which is really a contrivance. It's really a fabrication of modern society that we're humans over here in our concrete and metal cages and nature is out there somewhere far away and hard for us to get to. So it's about reminding people to recognize the nature inside and outside that I think is one of the keys to healing all that all that ails us as modern humans and my experience on alone drove that home in a way that nothing I'd ever experienced in my life had even though I've pursued similar things for all of my adult life so yeah in terms of the the joy and wonder I experienced out there it's hard to sum up in words I mean we're talking about an experience that was almost three months but things like watching the sun go down over a vast, vast lake and feeling like I was the only person on earth in an incredibly wild and bountiful wilderness. Um, Experiences like being deeply struggling in my own body and then stepping outside to see the northern lights dancing up above me. Experiences like having a deep need for something and knowing that it was nowhere in the environment and then getting to a place of offering to the land and surrendering, even though I didn't have what I needed and having that thing that I needed show up given to me by the land. So it was really an experience of laying myself on the altar of wildness and seeing what came from that and what the world was able to meet me with and feeling profoundly seen and held and wanted and given to by the most wild place I can ever imagine. You really came at it from such a different perspective than so many of the other participants. So many people on the show focus on their survival skills, and you just speak to such a beautiful spiritual experience. Your book uh, you know, your prose is is like poetry. Hmm, thank you. Can you tell yeah, us more uh, about your book and, and what we can look forward to uh, when it's released next week? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, so as you say, I had a really different approach than most people who we see on the show or in, in similar things in the world related to survival. And largely that's because I have never gone after these things from from a survival standpoint. I've never considered myself a survivalist. What I want is a life deeply connected to the natural world and really experiencing reciprocity, not just taking from that world to sustain myself, but also giving back and kind of remembering that more ancient role that humans had as tenders of the land. And um, I think that that really comes through in my journey. And I think that what sets my standpoint apart from the survival standpoint is that survival is very much fear-based. It's the idea that the world is out to get you and you have to do everything you can just to live, right? Survival literally just means not dying. And I was out there to live. I was out there to thrive. I was out there for joy and wonder, not to conquer the wilderness. And that is 
uh, perspective that I think the world really needs because it's very different than the main images that we are usually fed by shows such as Alone. So that was part of why it felt really important to me to share my book with the world because the show itself, while it was all footage that I filmed, you know, the the way that story is presented can be changed dramatically by the editing. And I felt that the heart of my story and my intention and experience out there didn't really come across on television. And I wrote the book to to be poetry, to be beauty, to show people the struggles in a deep and visceral and very vulnerable way. You know, the book goes into talking about getting my moon time out there and what that was like as a woman. It talks about being so profoundly constipated for more than two weeks that I felt that they were probably going to whisk me away in a helicopter because of it, you know? So it's, so it's very honest about the challenging parts, but I was really motivated to show how the beauty and joy and wonder could transcend those physical challenges. That was, that was very much my goal with the book because that was very much my experience out there. And you know, you, you've read it, some of it. Um, and I, I hope that I've managed to achieve that. I feel like I've gotten feedback that has shown that I've achieved that. But the gift was not just, uh, the book was my gift to the world, but also it was a gift to that place that fed me so well, because I feel like it does a disservice to wild places to paint the picture that they're out to get us and trying to kill us. And so when I was out on the land, I was praying regularly to, to the land, to the ancestors, to the plants and creatures out there, asking them to step forward to feed me. And in return, telling them that I would tell the story of how coming to the wildness, the wilderness, the, the beautiful untrammeled places with the intention of respect and connection and giving back was a more successful survival strategy than going out there with the aim of conquering them. So in that way, the book was also a fulfillment of a promise that I made to the land that fed me out there. That's beautiful. You know, I was speaking to a friend about our podcast and I shared the opening quote with her and she said, it seems that Wonia understands normalcy and it's the rest of us that are in the wild. Can you speak to yeah. that statement? I, you- I love that. And yes, I mean, it depends on how, how we look at the wild, right? But if we look at the wild in kind of our cultural conception of it as the the unruly place that's challenging to live, then I think that, that the modern American world or, you know, for across most of the globe really these days is, is what's unnatural and kind of out to get us, right? It's really challenging to live a well-rounded, fulfilled, happy, natural life in modern society. And I do believe that my perspective is a more ancestral perspective, right? The idea that the wild is out there or the natural world is out there to support us and misses having that relationship with humans. And so in that way, if you look at the scope of, of human history, the way that I lived out there and the way that I choose to live is and which is not to say that I live totally wild I don't I mean I'm I'm a product of modern culture as well and there are a lot of ways where that's deeply a part of my life but I certainly I certainly aim to have less influence of the modern human world and less dependence on industrial food systems and what have you than average and 
that's absolutely more normal if you look at the the scope of human history and how most people are living now is a real departure. And I think that that is a bigger threat to our systems, our health, our well-being. It's harder to feel like a like a grounded whole person in modern culture than it is living wild in nature. It's true. I mean, even kids are, are so disconnected, you know, living in California, one could say, why, why do we need water for the farmers? Why don't we just go to the store? Right. Yeah. 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 And that was something that was actually really beneficial. I mean, not to say that there weren't all kinds of tragic and horrible things about the coronavirus pandemic. But at the same time, I feel like it actually revealed kind of the the wizard behind the curtain, right? And the idea that stores are not always going to be there for us. And our bank account is not always going to be the thing that can provide our needs. We really have to have some idea of what our basic needs are and some way to get them met that isn't just based on getting them shipped from halfway around the world towards us. You know, you can buy spring water from Europe at a grocery store in the U.S. And that's just such a strange and impractical thing that we should depend on something so simple as food and water that needs to be shipped from halfway around the world. Yes, absolutely. Can you talk about the transformation that you experienced? What was your life like before? And what would you feel are the most profound changes? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would say that some of the most profoundly transformative experiences were those that that relate to the themes of your podcast and kind of your your introduction in terms of being really and truly human. I've always talked about it in terms of being really and truly animal and recognizing that there's a profound difference between our needs and our wants and what most of us consider our needs in the modern culture fall away really quickly when we are in a situation where we have no shelter, have no food, have limited access to water. And there's something about going so long with so little that really teaches us not just what our true needs are, but how incredibly resilient we are like to go long term without our basic needs and see that we can actually survive and enjoy ourselves and find really profound joyous experiences that was very transformative for me and it has really revealed a lot of the entitlement that modern humans have feeling entitled to our basic needs and a whole lot of excessive wants on top of our basic needs. And for me now, going long term with extraordinarily low calories has shown me what a gift just having food to eat every day is. Just having a warm shelter that you can keep somewhere well above zero, that is a profound gift, not a right, not something we're entitled to. And in fact, throughout most of human history, our ancestors did not have those things guaranteed. They suffered for lack of those a lot. Famine is very present in most of human history. And we just have lost all conception of that. We've lost the idea of ourselves as animal and our most basic physical needs. And that's just one of many, many things that was deeply transformative out there. 
but just a greater appreciation for what we have rather than a focus on what we'd like to have and don't is profoundly transformative. And to put it in context for people who may not know you from the show, um, you lost one third of your body weight, 50 pounds in 73 days and endured, I believe, temperatures of a wind chill of minus 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hard to say exactly what the temperatures were, but they were minus 25 and 30 by the by the thermometer. Or not that I had a thermometer out there. This was checking when I was gone, but with wind chill anywhere from probably minus 40 to minus 60 out there. And you, you know, you speak about things like removing a, a pot of warm water for the, from the fire and having it freeze almost instantly. Like I think we can't <laughs> yes. even conceive of that kind of level of, of cold. Yeah. It was, it was pretty remarkable, certainly, and especially the combination of the extreme cold with extreme calorie deprivation is uh, is a pretty, pretty difficult thing to get through, for sure. It's a major stress on the body. And yet you came away with joy. Um, yeah, <laughs> I would say that it was difficult, but that I wasn't suffering. And that the difference between, you know, profound challenge and profound difficulty and suffering is all about our attitude and how we approach it and the stories we tell ourselves about it as it's happening. Interestingly, you're 100% right. I didn't experience it as traumatic. But when I went back out a second time on Alone Frozen, it was clear that my body and nervous system remembered it as traumatic. So I was blown away after having this amazing and beautiful and joyful experience to go back out again, expecting it to be instantly amazing and beautiful and having body respond with essentially with PTSD. Uh, that was, that was really surprising. Well, you did mention that you took two years to recover from the first season that mm-hmm. you did season six. Can you tell us about that recovery process and what in- insights can you share with us about what our bodies need to heal? That's part of what this show is all about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, So there are a lot of different stages of healing from something like this. The most profound are when one first comes out of the wilderness. And, you know, when I was out there, I was thinking about all of the things that I didn't have access to there that I would be excited to have when I returned. And the, the biggest of those, of course, was food. So I had this idea for myself that it was just delayed gratification. Like, yes, I would love you know, a thick, juicy steak or <laughs> a biscuit with butter on it or whatever it was that I couldn't get out of my head any given moment. Um, and I was picturing that when I came back out, I would be I would be returning to all of that delicious food. I didn't realize that there's a thing called refeeding syndrome, wherein if you start eating again after profound starvation or, or just deep calorie deprivation, it can actually kill you because of the electrolyte balances in your body and the electrical signals. So refeeding syndrome was something that was essentially discovered when people were liberated from concentration camps and given food and then died because of it. So just getting one's body used to eating again after profound calorie deprivation is something that has to be done really carefully and conscientiously. So I did not come out of the wilderness to the delicious, huge, meals that I was looking forward to. I came out to having to slowly 
get my digestive system and my organs back online and reintroduce food bit by bit until I was able to process it without doing damage to myself. So that was kind of the first stage of recovery and also incredibly profound, a a really deep part of my experience. And that too is one of those things that the watchers of the show don't see. And so it felt really important to address in my book. And then the, the other parts of recovery were longer term. There were things like the, the psychological issues, like compulsive eating for a while after having gone through such deprivation and knowing that I was eating more than was good for my body and things that weren't good for my body, but having zero control over those choices, which I, you know, I'm a person with pretty strong will. And so that was interesting to be in that place of like, wow, I know I don't want this modern food and yet I'm powerless to say no to it. And sometimes eating so much that I actually like strained my esophagus because I was packing my gut more full than it could take. And that passed after a couple of months, but then my metabolism was really strange for a while. Like the way I packed weight back on after coming out was really strange. My body looked really different than normal. I'm normally uh, someone who's strong and muscular and curvy. And I came out with no, no breasts, no butt, no hips and stick skinny legs and a huge spare tire. So like when the weight came back on, it didn't come on evenly distributed. It just packed onto my midsection and everything else stayed super, super skinny. And that was really, really strange, major body dysmorphia to feel like, even though I was putting weight back on, I looked like a stranger in the mirror. And then when that regulated, I continued to carry a lot of extra weight for some time because my body really needed a cushion. It needed to feel safe. So it wanted to feel like it had extra calories. So I would say the the latter parts of my recovery, the last year or so, was really about my body slowly coming back to my regular set point and, um, and having what felt like a normal metabolism again. So lots of lots of different stages of recovery and many more things that I didn't drop into too, in terms of like weird illness and injury, just from a really stressed body. Do you have any advice for people who are really coming back from a serious illness? Anything you learned from this two years of recovery? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm a big advocate of recognizing that most of the modern foods we have available to us are bad for our bodies. They tend to be really calorie rich and nutrient poor. So I, I'm an advocate of looking rather than following the latest fads and, you know, super diets to looking to what did our ancestors eat, you know, eating, eating whole foods, eating less processed foods. And I'm an advocate of wild foods. Most wild greens have far more nutrient content than anything we can get from the store. So I'm, I'm an advocate of things like bone broth and nettle tea, you know, wild, wild teas and eating seasonally. So lots of fresh wild greens in the spring because that's when they're abundant and more, you know, fruits and vegetables in the summer because that's when they're abundant and Um, I do think that humans evolved to eat meat. I'm not an advocate of the ways meat is raised in our culture. So I think that eating really good, healthy meats is important and harder to do. So things like farmers markets and local sustainable agriculture and pasture raised meats 
that are grown small scale, avoiding meats that, you know, animals that have been fed grains and things that are unnatural. Um, so I, I definitely am someone who is really interested in nutrition. And while I don't think any rigid diets are a good idea because there's psychological as well as physical implications to those, you know, leaning more towards the the paleo and the ancestral food systems, I think is a really good way to go. Probiotics, fermented foods, all of that kind of thing. I've been saying that many times on the show that if it wasn't food 500 years ago, it is not food today. And please. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. 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 If you don't recognize the ingredients in your food and if you couldn't make it in your home kitchen, then that's something to give you pause and probably not a good idea. Yeah. We have to take a break right here, um, but we're going to be right back with more uh, with Wonia. So stay tuned. Healthy Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. We're here today with Wonia Thibault, um, winner of Alone, and she's just written the book, Never Alone, about her experiences on season six. And um, we were talking before the break about healthy foods and nutrition. You know, one of the things I really find interesting about the survival aspect is that what we think we need nutritionally in our society is really, really different and what people need when they get out there. You know, we're so obsessed with protein in our culture. I I see again and again on the show that the thing that saves people and gets them to the end is the need for fat. Um, Can you speak a little bit about that? And, And also just, you know, what you really learned about what the human body needs? Like, was was there anything about our food system that 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 really shifted in your perspective? Well, you know, that's a great question. And I think that part of why I did better on alone than a lot of folks, even under really extreme calorie deprivation, was the degree to which I have been interested in wilder foods, wilder diets, and wilder eating habits. 
than what we see in our modern culture for a long time. And so I think it was less of a physiological shock to me to transition to a ketogenic diet and a wild foods diet than it is for a lot of people who are really eating, you know, the modern American diet with a ton of empty carbs and a ton of processed foods. So I learned a lot out there, but it was also really reinforcing things that I already knew to be true because I've been interested in nutrition and wild foods for a long time. Certainly feeling in my body, the difference was much different. Having that visceral knowledge versus the intellectual knowledge of having, you know, read a lot of books and studies and been interested in in paleo nutrition. Um, but as you say, it is un believable how your body craves fat when you're in an extreme wild living situation. And, you know, I grew up in the, I was born in 1975. So I kind of came into awareness really in the eighties during the low fat craze. I mean, it still cracks me up that you can buy low fat sour cream. Like It's cream. It's fat. That's what it is. How can you have low fat or no fat sour or cream, right? And just the the idea in our culture, because, you know, our, our culture is profoundly unhealthy and profoundly obese. And sure, thinking about fats as part of the culprit makes some sense because we have a lot of terribly unhealthy fats readily available in our culture. But we've really maligned fat. And when you're in a survival situation, fat is the most amazing thing in the world. And so I think that a healthy relationship with fat and understanding what it really is and what our body's needs for it are is a really important thing. And just making an effort to have really, really healthy fats in, you know, in in quantities that aren't absurd is a much better choice than trying to avoid fats at all costs and replace them with gnarly chemical fillers that our bodies don't know what to do with and we're never meant to have. I've mentioned on the show that our brains are 12% fat by volume. And so when you're not getting enough fat in your diet, you're literally starving your brain and your brain won't have it. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and also the way that cholesterol is so maligned in our culture, when cholesterol is, is an important building block for all of the hormones in our body and for our very cell walls, the cholesterol isn't just about what we eat. Our bodies are constantly making it. So it's more about the, the shifts in our bodies around what they do with it and how they make it rather than just what we take in. If we look at, you know, our ancestors that were eating just animal fats they weren't dying of heart disease, you know, they didn't have clogged arteries. So just kind of turning, turning our perspective around a little bit and looking at what's actually happening in our bodies is so much more complex than just what we're putting in. And I think the diversity of diet is really important. I mean, we just eat the same few foods all the time. Right. Yeah. And we tend to eat the same foods year round. Whereas if you look at the natural world, what's available out there is wildly different season to season. And our bodies evolved to have that kind of seasonal difference. Uh, I'd like to turn again now to more emotional, spiritual aspects. Um, um, can you talk about, you mentioned earlier, resilience. Tell me about what you learned about resilience and, and how can we bring more resilience into our lives? Yeah, absolutely. I think that what it looks like is going to be different for lots of different people. And 
for me, what was really clear to me out there was the degree to which liking hard work and being able to find the gift and the learning in adversity was a big part of resilience. You know, how we respond to something is hugely related to the stories that we tell ourselves about it. So I actually went through a period midway in my time out on Alone Season 6, where I had gone from successfully trapping rabbits to all of a sudden having almost no rabbits around anywhere. This is a chapter in my book called The Great Rabbit Exodus, where all of a sudden my little peninsula was just bereft of rabbits. They just all disappeared. And at that time, I went through this process of feeling it was also the same time where I got my first weight warning, where the the medical check started happening. And the doctors associated with the show told me, yeah, we're actually getting pretty concerned about your weight loss. And so I had this story externally of, oh, my gosh, I'm starving. And I really fixated on that because one, I, I was I was being unsuccessful getting game in. And I was telling myself, I'm starving. I'm starving. I'm I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And I felt terrible in my body. I felt weak. I felt powerless. You know, I I definitely felt distraught. And then I just had this epiphany where I was like, wait a minute. Until they told me that I was in dire straits, I felt great. I felt strong. So whether or not I believe them or believe my own internal sense of how I'm doing is going to make a profound difference in my experience. And I looked at it and I thought, you know what? There are people who do long-term fasting and ketogenic diets on purpose for healing. So I'm not starving. I'm doing a really intense fast. I'm doing a a cranberry fast (laughs) and a cleanse. And as soon as I turned that around in my head, I felt different in my body. I was still starving. I wasn't taking in any more than I had been previously, but I no longer felt weak and I felt strong and resilient in body. So I think that resilience really comes down to mindset and the stories we tell ourselves and recognizing how powerfully our minds and bodies are connected and that, you know, health is very much something that happens on a physical level, but health is also something that we have some control over. And that was really transformative for me and really taught me how how powerful and resilient I could be and how much my mental attitude was part of that. Very valuable. What was harder than you expected and what was easier? Mm. You know, I had not been someone who had done a lot of fasting. If you had asked me before I went to the Arctic how I would do with really prolonged extreme hunger, I probably would have said, I'm not going to do very well with that. But I was amazed at how well I actually did with it. And one of the things that I brought out there was a food ration. I brought two pounds of pemmican, which is a mixture of rendered fat and dried meat and dried berries. And I portioned that out like I had such willpower to eat just a little bit of it and not wolf it down. And I really surprised myself with that. So I was totally blown away in my own capacity to deal with the long-term hunger. So that was easier than I had imagined. The thing that was harder than I had imagined was having to leave. 
coming back home. I didn't, I didn't expect to fall so in love with that place and that experience that the most challenging part of it for me was leaving it. Like I literally felt that I would have preferred to be left out there and, and die in that place if I couldn't get enough food rather than to be helicoptered back to, you know, a hospital and the modern world. So the leaving it and the recovery was the part that was a lot harder than I had expected. Is it more difficult missing the Arctic or more difficult missing the world while you were there? Well, I didn't really miss the world particularly while I was there. Um, the second time I did on on Alone Frozen in Labrador, I was very aware of what I was missing. I had um, I had a partner at that time and I had a whole community that I had built through my Patreon membership and also a, a community of people who I regularly get together with at, at gatherings and events around the country who have similar interest in ancestral skills and living wilder. So I felt much more lonely the second time. Um, so 100%, I would say that missing the wildlife was harder than missing the modern life when I was out. But then once I came back, then I also really appreciated having people I loved around having access to food that wasn't going to be, you know, that was more predictable than it had been out there. So I still miss it. But I think we're such adaptable animals as humans that I did adapt back to my life back home and see all of the things to appreciate about that as well. Even though it might, it wouldn't have been my choice to have to leave and come back. I still was able to and appreciate all the things that that gave to me and found a much more profound joy in my normal daily living, I would say, than I had before after really touching the edge of death, you know, near-death experiences. And I would definitely count my time out on on season six, not so much on Labrador, um, as a near-death experience. And that's going to make you so grateful for every single day and everything that you have. And that's definitely been my experience. We really take for granted how so many daily decisions when you're out in the wilds are life and death experiences and, and how even like a small thing that you might find could make the difference between life and death. You mentioned finding the a frying pan on the island. And when mm -hmm. you're in that situation, like that, that potentially is life saving. You said what a difference it made in terms of dehydration and such. And, and I have to admit yeah. this morning when I was using a frying pan, I thought about you and, and how, <laughs> you know, how we have so much and we take it for granted. Yeah. Yeah. Those are things that until you live in a wilderness situation with, for very, with very little, you tend not to recognize how important something like string, just something to tie things together is huge. It's been huge for people all over the planet forever. And we never even think about that. Containers, just something to put things in and transport them that isn't your hands, you know, that's an enormous survival advantage that most people never realize is a big deal. Yeah, a frying pan was enormous because I only had one vessel that could hold liquids. And that meant that I could either cook food or I could drink water. I couldn't do both at any given time. You know, like if I had leftovers in my pot, I couldn't get water to drink from the lake. So having a frying pan was huge. It also meant that I didn't have to go out into the elements to get 
to the lake, it meant that I could melt snow and, you know, stay tucked inside during a storm, which is absolutely a life and death thing in the Arctic. Uh, I think I need another break here because I'm a little bit blown away thinking about this. So let's, <laughs> let's take another quick break and we'll be right back uh, with more with Wonia Tebow. This is Healthy, Wealthy You and Dr. Camille. Healthy, Wealthy You will help you find the tools to become the best version of yourself. We'll explore all aspects of well-being, nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, mental health, relationships, family, work, finances. It's you living your best life. No matter what your current health or life obstacles, we want to help you cross that bridge to your new life. Our experience with food, nutrition, supplements, functional medicine, specific health issues, and every aspect of what it means to be truly healthy will provide something for every level of interest, bringing new twists on what you already know. We'll help you figure out why you haven't achieved your goals and learn strategies to help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. If you have questions for Dr. Camille or her guests, feel free to join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now, back to the show with Dr. Camille. Welcome back to Healthy Wealthy You. We're here with Wonia Tebow, author of Never Alone, A Solo Arctic Survival Journey. Wonia, could you tell us any special stories about your time out there or anything from the book that you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. There are so many special stories. And honestly, I was able to cover a lot of them in the book, but there are also all kinds of special things that happened out there that I couldn't possibly fit into the book or else it would have been 1500 pages and no one would wade their way through it. Um, but there were so many moments that are some of the things that really stick with me, wherein there was this interesting relationship with the land where I would I would go about all of the things that I needed to do to survive. And sometimes it was still incredibly challenging and things weren't going my way. And I would push and push and try to make them go my way. And usually that didn't work. And when I got to a point of recognizing that I could only do all I could do, but really it was up to something far greater than me, whether I got food and how long I was going to be out there. And I would reach this point of surrender. And usually when I reached that point of surrender, that was when things started to shift for me. So there were all kinds of moments where I was like, okay, I guess the rabbits are gone and I guess I'm not going to eat anymore. I need to reconcile myself to that idea and the idea that my stay out here isn't going to be as long as I thought it would be. And then I would find something in my trap after, you know, a week or more without having gotten any food. Uh, there were moments where logically I felt like, okay, I need this one resource. So one example is I need to cut a tree to, build a stronger frame for my roof so that I can insulate my roof. Now, I know that there are a bunch of trees really close by where I could go and cut one, but for some reason, something deep in my body is telling me to go somewhere different. And so there was one instant where 
in it was dusk it was a stormy night and i just felt this profound pull to go somewhere further away from home that didn't really make sense to go and i decided to listen to that i went there i saw a tree that looked like it was a good one to cut and then i had this deep sense no that's not the tree to cut here's this funky looking tree behind it that wouldn't be as good for building but i'm getting a strong sense that that's the one i need to cut and i did and as that tree fell it revealed another tree behind it. And in the top of that tree was an arrow that I had lost one of my early weeks. And I was really down to it from having lost several arrows and I needed that arrow. So listening to this deeper sense, far deeper than my logical brain about what was the thing to do in that moment revealed amazing gifts that really felt like it was this combination of my own inner knowing and the land giving that would lead me to something that would have a profound impact on my long-term survival there. So few people in the modern world even slow down enough to listen to intuition. Right. Well, and our lives aren't built to give us the capacity to do that. You know, we're usually very scheduled. And so changing, changing tacks in the middle of doing something doesn't work very well in modern society. But out there, I really had that freedom and had that capacity to listen deeply. And the more I did that, the more deep messages I heard. So it was a positive feedback loop. When you came back into the world, what would you say was the most difficult thing about returning? You know, it was very interesting. The things that were hardest for me coming back were all of those things about modern society that didn't exist long ago, that didn't exist out there. Things like cell phones and computers and numbers and schedules and expectations of what I needed to be doing that weren't about, you know, myself and my own basic needs. Those things were really, really hard. And they're still harder for me than they were before. Like I have a harder time being beholden to phones and responding to emails and messages and such than I did before. Anything that's an abstraction from what's right in front of me are a lot harder for me now and harder to wrap my brain around having experienced what it is to just be present in the present moment and interact with just the things in front of me and that I really need. You know, I was so grateful that you were willing to come on the show and, and interact with technology for, <laughs> for an hour. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. And I'm, you know, I, I'm also able to recognize the gifts those are and how amazing it is that we're able to connect with people across the country, across the world. So it's not to say that I don't appreciate it, too. But it's also weird and how the the strangeness of it is more palpable than it was previously. Well, we're certainly glad that you came out to, to share everything you know. Could you tell us about Buckskin Revolution? It's much more than survival skills classes. Yeah, absolutely. And as I spoke about earlier, I never saw myself as a survival skills person or instructor. But now that the world recognized me as such, I do use that. Not survivalist, but survival skills instructor more than I did before. But what Buckskin revolution is really about is recognizing that in today's modern world, choosing the deeper skills, the ancestral skills, the things that connect us profoundly to place and really are an example of our reciprocity with 
place is a revolutionary act. So the idea of wearing the skins of animals that lived in the wild around you, as opposed to depending on industrial produced cloth and garments that were made in a factory you'll never see somewhere on the opposite side of the world. That's that's a revolutionary act. And I think it's an important one. And I think a return to more interaction, more connection with the things that we base our lives upon is really important and is something that not only feeds our spirit, but is an important thing to do because the way we're living as modern humans is really unsustainable and harmful to the planet and every other living thing besides ourselves on the planet. So Buckskin Revolution is about learning the skills that help support our, our daily needs, whether we're living in the city or whether we're choosing to go out into a wilderness survival situation. It's about deeper connection and resilience and feeling whole and connected to the world around us, our own deeper natures and human culture, which even though we're surrounded by more humans than ever, most of us feel less connected and and lonelier than we have throughout most of human history. We've become so global that we've yeah. forgotten about the local. Yeah, absolutely. And, and our nervous systems and our physical bodies know that and are unwell because of it, right? We evolved to have those kinds of connections. Our ears are literally tuned to birdsong, but most of us are playing podcasts so loud or, you know, filling our lives with media and video games or, you know, out in traffic that's so loud that we can't even hear that. And that that does something when we get overstimulation of the kinds of things we were never supposed to have and understimulation of the things that we, we are supposed to that are about being aware of our local environment. Can you talk a little bit more about how you are evolving through this process? I mean, you wrote the book about your first season. You went through the second season as well. And now you've had some time back. Um, you're doing so much. And with your book being published next week, you know, there's going to be so many changes for you. How are you evolving and what are your next plans? Since returning from alone, I would say that I've always been driven to change the world for the better uh, and to and to help people and help help the planet. I mean, my my graduate degree, my master's is in environmental science. Right. So it's not just the ancestral skills for me. It's also a deep uh, a deep connection to the natural world and understanding it and diving into it but also a desire to help it out because it is struggling. So it's been interesting in that in my return from alone, I've been more driven than ever to use my experiences to help change the world in positive ways. But that has looked like a lot of sacrifice from me because I'm living a less wild life than the one that really calls to me most in order to be in a place where I have internet and can do things like talk to people like yourself and write a book and organize a book tour and and get the word out there. So what's next for me is after this huge outpouring of time and energy and this big gift to the world, trying to find more balance where I am able to unplug and get that wilder time and live that wilder lifestyle as well. Well, we certainly appreciate you bringing this message. It is 
Any any final thoughts? Any any last things you want to say uh, to everyone out there? Yeah, absolutely. I think that one thing that is really important in terms of the message that I bring and my alone journey is I think it's easy for people to want to put me on a pedestal after you know, having having one alone and after getting to see me survive in these really extreme situations to think, oh, wow, that's so amazing. How did she do that? And I could never do that. And that's the opposite of the message I want to share, because part of what was important to me was to be out there representing the common person. You know, I'm not this huge, burly person who always felt physically superior. I was I was a small, lonely, awkward, only child that had my nose in a book most of my childhood. I wasn't athletic. I didn't particularly believe in my own physical capacity. And I was able to turn that around to become a symbol for someone who was able to do extraordinary things in wild places. And my hope is that that shows all people what they too are capable of, whether or not they believe that about themselves right now, that that is something that you have the capacity to do because you too are the product of millions of years of evolution. Like your ancestors made it through extreme wilderness situations. Had they not, you wouldn't be alive, right? It, your ancestors did it. And that therefore that same capacity, those same genes are in you. So just encouraging people to believe in themselves, regardless of whether or not they ever test themselves to the degree that I did, because I wouldn't have believed I was capable of it for a lot of my life, yet I was. So what is it that you're capable of that you don't yet know that you are? That's a beautiful message, and especially, I think, for young children and and ones that might have their noses in books right now. Uh, as <laughs> you did. Um, I think that's just that's a, 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 a beautiful thing to just keep saying we need to challenge ourselves and yeah. taking things to the next level. And make kids poke their noses into my book and believe early on when they identify with me as a young bookworm, <laughs> recognize that they too can grow up to do whatever they want to do. Well, I'm I'm so excited for your book that's coming out next week, uh, uh, June 13th. The book is Never Alone, A Solo Arctic Survival Journey. We've been talking with Wonia Thibault, and um, thank you so much for the message that you've shared. My pleasure. And just to remind your listeners that there are ways to plug into everything that I do and be more a part of it. I offer in-person courses, online courses. I've got other books in the works. And one of the things that really supports me and all I do is my Patreon membership. And the beautiful thing about Patreon membership is that it gives folks more access to me and I share more with them than I do with the general public in terms of what I'm up to. And we have an interactive call this evening, actually, every month we have a Zoom call where we talk about some of these subjects. And it's a real beautiful, supportive community. And as opposed to putting a book out there in the world where I don't see who's reading it and I don't necessarily get to interact with them, seeing the ways the things that I do interact with my Patreon members over the long term has been a huge part of helping me stay inspired and driven um, to share all of these profound messages with the world. So how can our listeners plug into that? 
Uh, my website, woniatibo.com, or my learning website, Buckskin Revolution, all will will give you more information about that. Or you can just look up Wonia and Patreon, and that'll take you to my Patreon site. And I, I have different membership tiers so that it's affordable for everyone, because I really, I want people to be as involved as they want to be and not have financial restrictions around that. Well, and we'll make sure that all those links are available on our site as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it and really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Healthy Wealthy You. Have a question but weren't able to get on the show today? Join us next week and call in. Until then, hold that inspiration.